0: Welcome to the Conversations with Christians Engage podcast, where we go in-depth with practical ways for you to pray, vote, and engage. Today we are joined by Texas Railroad Commissioner Christy Craddock. Commissioner Craddock will be discussing the role of the Railroad Commission in the energy industry in Texas.
1: everybody it's bunny pounds with another conversation with christians engage some of y'all know we are a texas-based ministry and so we deal many times with texas Uh, Texas government, we are producing an Austin 101 class that will be out uh, in August or September, and we just got done recording and editing that on the roles in Austin, the Texas legislature, how you can advocate for your values. It's intensive, like three hours. You don't want to miss that. But in that, that education around Texas, a lot of people don't understand what people do and we had state comptroller Glenn Hager on a few months ago to kind of explain his job and today we are blessed to have our railroad commissioner Christy Craddock um let me introduce Christy and then we're going to dive deep in what is the railroad commission what does she do as a railroad commissioner what does her daily life look like and then also, let's talk about energy in Texas. So what you need to know about Christy is she is from a very, very political family. Her her father um, used to be the Speaker of the House in Texas, and she ha- was elected uh, to the commission in uh, November 2012. She has always pushed to maximize the efficiency and the effectiveness of our energy industry around Texas. Um, she has worked and been educated on, she knows everything as it relates to oil and gas. She's from Midland. (laughs) She grew up in Midland. And so those of us that are not from Midland sometimes don't understand the importance of some of these industries and how they affect all of our lives. Um, She uh, has a bachelor's degree and she has a doctorate in jurisprudence from the University of Texas in Austin. She lives in Austin with her daughter, Catherine, and we are excited to have her. Christy, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always nice to be with your group. You've got a great group. And you brought up Glenn Hager. I will tell you, I have a more important agency than he does. So go, uh, and i we we joke back and forth about it. He might manage the money, but my agency regulates who how it comes into the state a whole lot. So there you go.
1: There thanks you for go for having me. Well, okay. So answer this question. What is the railroad commission? And what does a railroad commissioner do?
2: Well, if you thought you were coming to hear about railroads, I'm sorry you're at the wrong place. So we do not, as an agency, do railroads and have not since the 1980s. We are the oil and gas regulator and, and really do energy in Texas. So uh, we're the oldest state agency. We're a constitutional agency. There are three of us. We're all elected statewide, and and we don't have uh, regions. We are all just get elected statewide. And we rotate the chairmanship amongst the three of us. So today I'm the chairman. I'm serving in my third term that's not been consecutive, but I think I've had the longest term as chairman at one point. So um, so oil and gas is really what we do. And we started doing oil and gas in Texas hundred over 100 years ago when oil was discovered in East Texas over by Tyler Longview. Go pull out your maps. That's kind of where we first found it in Texas. Uh, The governor at the time determined we needed to regulate the production of oil and gas to protect the environment. We talk about the environment a lot in the world and also to prevent waste. So we weren't just spilling it on the ground and we were managing the resources appropriately. And we as an agency got oil and gas because we did regulate railroads at that point. And we were shipping barrels like trash can barrels that we all think of uh, that sit out at a at, at football game. You know, you put your trash in. We were shipping barrels of oil on trash can um, that we use for trash cans today, shipping barrels of oil on railroads. And so we had a relationship already with the railroads and oil and gas was on there. So we got the job. So we oldest oil and gas regulatory body in the entire country, really in this state. We're older than OPEC. OPEC was kind of developed because of what we were as an agency. Um, But we've deregulated, which isn't a bad thing when you look at railroads. And we used to do trucking too, by the way. So all of the trucking rates came through this agency. So today... We do oil and gas and oil and gas production. We do pipelines and pipeline safety. So pipelines are important. You hear about them, of. you sort of may know they're in the ground. In Texas, we have 400 and about 470,000 miles of pipeline in our state, which is enough interstate, intrastate gathering lines, which is enough to go to the moon and back. So a lot of pipe in Texas, we're the biggest pipe state. We have coal mines in this state, it's part of your electricity when you turn on the light every day in Texas. And so we have coal mines in the state, kind of East Texas, along our border with Mexico. We also have uranium mines in the state. People don't realize that, kind of in South Texas. And so we regulate the exploration of that. We also have, and everybody's talking about it's the new thing, right, supposedly, Carbon capture, we do carbon capture and have carbon rules and have since two for almost 20 years, we're coming up on 1819 years. And that all comes through this state and geothermal, which somebody said, Oh, that's new technology. And I, I laughed because we've had geothermal rules in this state for 40 plus years. And our last permit went out the door 25 years ago. So it's not new, it's new, improved technology. So if you're looking at energy in, in Texas, that comes from the ground, we do it. And that's important. Um, It's a lot of jobs. It's a lot of dollars that come into this state. And um, so today it's roughly 400,000 jobs in Texas are directly or indirectly involved in the oil and gas industry. They make roughly $130,000 a year is the average. So real people have real jobs in this industry and we're proud to regulate it.
1: So we have Wayne Christian and then is it Jim Wright, our new railroad commissioner?
2: That's correct. In yeah. fact, today, I don't know when you'll show this, but on uh, August the what is August the third as we're tape, uh, doing this, it was his first meeting, Jim Wright's first meeting that we all had in person. We've been doing everything by Zoom. And so wow. first meeting to have all three of us sit in person. We're all as an agency, you know, we've been home for 15, 18 months, kind of like everybody else. And Uh, as far as in-person meetings, but we're going back to work. And I think it's important. Look, our agency never went home, right? We've got great people, about 830 people across the state, um, but it's time for all of us to now be back in the office, and I think we're all trying to figure out how to do that. So,
1: Well, and you have had a very, very busy year with our Texas freeze, right, <laughs> and all the other yeah. things you've been trying to manage. About how many approximately staff are in the agency? I know people would be interested in that.
2: So we have 830 today. We wow. have Field offices across the state, and then we've got our Austin office. Um, I always say to really know what's going on, you've got to get out of Austin and see what's going on. But a lot of our people are inspectors, so you know we have rules and regulations that we we expect when we give you a permit to that you have to abide by. And about about a third of our agency, just over a third of our agency, are inspectors, and they're all out in the field. They're driving around in trucks. They're they're working hard and. We've done more inspections in the last 18 months being out of the, quote, out of the office with COVID than we've done. We're way above our numbers. Um, I think our goals are, you know, 150 to 1,000 inspections, give or take a year. And this last year, we will have done over 250,000. So we take it seriously and we've got some great people who work for us.
1: Well, as you know, we're a Christian, nonpartisan, nonprofit ministry, um, trying to help people get educated on government, on politics, on why it's important to be a part of the process. Our mission and goal is to get people to build habits of prayer voting and engagement. What caused you? I mean, we already talked about you're from a, you know, you've been around politics. Your family has been involved in, as a servant leaders for a long time what was in your heart that wanted to serve and why the railroad commission? Why was that, did that seem to be a good fit for you?
2: Well, so I'll say one, as you know, I never had run for office before. And and if you asked anybody in my family, they'd tell you, I was never going to run for office (laughs) for those of you who were thinking, don't shut the door. But this agency really, in 2011 there was going to be some openings and Look, I, this agency does a lot in the state, and this industry is important. And it is about, in my opinion, being a servant leader. Um, I grew up with that, whether you're engaged in your community your church, whatever, wherever you're called to be engaged, I really think that's important. And uh, there was an announcement right in January as a legislative session was starting, this, this agency needed some new leadership. And I went in and told my parents that I was thinking about running for the rail Commission because I felt like there was a lot going on in this industry. And and um, we needed somebody who understood it and really wanted to spend the time and, and fix it. And there were a lot of good people, but we just needed someone who was going to spend some time. And so the story goes that I walked in and said this to my parents and my mother was about to sit down and she about missed the chair, right? <laughs> she said, you're going to do what? And I went, yeah, I really am. And my dad looked at me and he goes, "Are you sure? I mean, you know, politics is tough. It's tough on a family. It's tough. It's and I'd never run for office. I was lived in Travis County, not necessarily always the best place to run for statewide office from either. And and I said, "Yeah, I really feel like this might be the thing." And he said, "Well, if you're going to put your plan together, go start talking to people and and see if it." if it works and look, I, I worked harder. I had a long election cycle and, um, because they put, kept pushing elections because we were in redistricting, which we're getting ready back through the cycle. And, um, they kept pushing the elections and, um, and really I worked harder and, and had a, a, a vision, I hope, and, and spent a lot of time listening to people. Cause I think to be a good leader, you need to listen and see what they say. And so, um, that's a, that was sort of, I, I, don't, I think I would call it a calling in some respect and, and really felt like that was my place. And it has been, it's been a great place to be. And, and I think we've, one, turned the tide at this agency, given it a lot of respect back, which was really important, but have changed the culture. And, you know, so for those people who were all sitting here on a computer, you're watching this, right? When I got to this agency, most of what we did was in hard copy. Uh, We didn't have anything that was online. And part of what I'd I'd run on was we needed to be uh, more technologically savvy, for lack of a better way to put it. And
1: bring more transparency,
2: right? A lot more transparency, a lot more efficiency when you're looking at a budget, right? It costs more on the front end. But, you know, if you don't need as many people and you don't have to spend as many hours looking at a permit, that's makes. And we wanted to be more transparent when you talk about education and communication If you don't have good data and information out there, that's really been important. So we've come a long way and we're in the middle of an IT upgrade, which, uh, you know, we're on a a Fortran uh, system with that. We are old, old. So we've come a long way. And that was some of the vision I felt. So it's been a great place to be and met a lot of really wonderful people. And you forget how great Texas is in, in so many respects, not just One industry person, but across the state, everybody's a little different. But I've enjoyed getting to know a lot more people in this state. I think that's the biggest gift of being in office, too.
1: Well, growing up in Midland in the heart of the Permian Basin, um, you were exposed to the oil and gas industry growing up and you met the people that work in it, um, whether they're people on rigs or the CEOs of companies, etc. cetera. Um, what do the people in the rest of Texas that have never gone to Midland, they've never experienced that culture, or even people around the country that have no idea all the things we produce in Texas,
2: what do they need to know? From your well, I think I would say first and foremost, if you go to Midland and you fly in in the middle of the of the you know springtime, it's not the prettiest place to be. But you can't find nicer people that work hard that have good values and really good Christian values, and they're out there understanding that they're 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 innovators. They are people who are putting their dollars out there to go drill for oil. This is this is it continues to be more and more expensive. Um, But the innovation and the technology that's come out of Texas, you know, uh, I, I cribbed from UT Austin that their logo has been what starts here, changes the world. And that's really what Texas is about. And that's really what this industry is about. And so when you go look, everybody thinks, again, that we're using new technology with horizontal drilling, hydraulic fracturing. It all started in Texas. It started with people who had ideas that they felt like they could make. Not just make money, but they were innovating and figuring out how to do things smarter. And that's where I, what I love about this industry and the people in it. Um, You give them, tell them what the boundaries are and what the rules are, right? Because we do, and we're trying to make sure that we have best practices in the state. But then let them go innovate and resolve and fix the problems and figure it out. You don't need government in the middle of it all the time. In fact, a lot of, uh, a lot of, West Texas and the oil and gas industry, they're one of the most regulated industries probably in the entire world. And yet they don't love government and their business because they want to go figure it out themselves. And they do, I think. And they're they're involved in the community. There's a lot of people. uh, Midland is kind of, I call it a diamond in the rough in the fact that you've got a lot of people involved in the community because they want to be involved in the community. They live there. They engage there. That's part of what they do. And they give back to the community. And I think that says a lot about, at the time it was 50,000. Now it's probably more like 170,000 people. People be wow. there. And, um, and and they like this industry. It's got a lot of really great people. And that's what it's about at the end of the day.
1: Well, I want to talk about um, Washington's one-size-fits-all approach. and And even what we're currently dealing with. If this changeover in the administration. But first, you know, the Bible doesn't specifically talk about oil and gas industry or energy issues in the Bible, but it does talk about, you know, Adam and Eve were given a garden and they were given a garden to till and to take care of and steward the earth. Um, And we're called to be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, right? So there's a lot of, um, you know, people that write articles or talk about what's the role of Christians with the Bible's point of view as it relates to our natural resources, Uh, you know, as a strong Christian yourself, how do you navigate that? Um, How do we keep the lights on, right? How do we keep um, energy happening in our communities and protect people? Because that's what it does. If we don't have, we learned that. And during the freeze, if we don't have heat, not good for the elderly or children, Right. (laughs) But how do we balance that with stewarding the earth and taking care of our natural resources?
2: Well, and I think he started by saying, you know, God gave us earth and God gave us oil and gas. You know, so I think that that's something he gave us to use first and foremost. And I also just philosophically believe that people are generally good. And so they look at something, they see a spill on the ground, they want to clean it up and they don't need me as government to tell them to do it, I think generally people are going to do that. And so where people, I think today people don't understand and how important it is in, in our faith and in believing in people and working with people. And so that's how I approach it first and foremost, if I'm, whether you're a government regulator or whether you're just in a community, I think that's how you ought to approach it, that people want to do the right thing. Look, if we, we're all those of us who live in texas and that's your your first audience right right we have clean air and clean water and clean land and my daughter loves animals now we're allergic to everything at my house so nothing is will ever get brought in but she can tell you about every bird we see and and plants and trees because she loves it and we talk about it and and yet she knows that oil and gas is important as our you know, if you want to talk about a windmill or solar, or here's the cotton out in the field, you see it all together. And I think we all can have figured out pretty well how to coexist if we do it well. And and I think that's part of what the Bible asks us to do too, is to figure out how we all coexist together. And so that's the way I look at the world. One, I believe people want to do the right thing and, and are good stewards, but God gave us resources. We ought to be able to use them in a smart way. And I think that's where we're, we do a good job in this country, a lot better than other countries do. And frankly, the state leads a lot.
1: And all the states around the country should be thanking us for Texas, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, talk a little bit about this one-size-fit-all approach from Washington. You have Washington bureaucrats just coming in and trying to tell us how to do business. You hit on that a little bit a few minutes ago. But, you know, the Biden administration comes in. They're like, "Okay, we're going to shut down the Keystone Pipeline. We're going to make other radical directives that are going to impact your uh, supply and demand around the country. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that at the pump. Everything whether it's our grocery store prices or the price of milk or at our, our local gas stations are affected by these directives from government that are, you know, working behind the scenes. Um, What is your perspective and your message really from Texas to DC that these bureaucrats should understand?
2: Well, you know, first day that they shut down Keystone XL pipeline and trans Canada, if you're talking to the Canadians uh, and, and shutting down drilling permits or Delaying was their new phrase, right? But not putting more drilling permits on federal land. See, so come to Texas, we don't have a lot of federal land. You get a permit from from us, so you're in safe in Texas. But still, just limiting the production of oil and gas, coal is important. Anything with carbon in it—that's crazy to me. Why? Because we we are not going. Oil and gas isn't going away. It is energy is the great equalizer for not just this country but around the world, right? And U.S. has been a leader for that. So now you've got an administration who is going to overregulate as a Green New Deal progressive philosophy, not just in their energy policies, but it looks like they're now putting into infrastructure and taxing and kind of across the board. And for for the administration who says they're a party that they want to be inclusive. That gets really expensive, you alluded to. But it also means as a country, we're not leading. We're now allowing OPEC, meaning Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, countries that, frankly, we fight wars and to protect our interests, they now have an upper hand again. At one point, Texas was, and the United States was a net exporter of energy. We're now going back that we're importing energy. And that makes no sense to me. We're the one of the largest countries for natural gas, and we're now exporting natural gas, um, which is important, I think, for us to send it to a country like Poland. Look, they don't want to do business with Russia. Uh, if you go look at your history books, I can tell you Poland's been in the middle between Russia and Germany for hundreds of years that Poland wants to do business with us. Same with South Korea, same with other countries that are friends with us. So we're now allowing, in my in my mind, other countries to get in front of us. When the United States isn't part of the conversation around the world, that means we go backwards, and you've got not good policies. But not just that; it really comes down to yours and my pocketbook. So, for those of us who aren't in the oil and gas business, don't care about it, and think you it doesn't affect you every day, I'm going to give you a couple examples how it is. And you alluded when it's you know your car you drive every day or. You know, you get on a bus, you got on some of us are getting back on airplanes, whatever, some kind of transportation mode. Okay, Uh, for those of us who've been living in our athletic clothes or that's what your kids wear every day to school, um, that's an oil and gas product. You just don't realize it for all of us who go to the doctor and we've all talked a lot about medical stuff. A lot of medical equipment is based in oil and gas products. Every piece of plastic, we're all watching this on a computer, your piece of plastic. I'm mm. um, oil and gas based. And and so this is the last one I thought I'd tell you because this always shocks people. And then they, this is where I'll get the question. You'll get this question too. Cheese flavored Doritos, you're eating oil and gas too. The chemicals in it.
1: Okay, I'm definitely staying away from cheese flavored Doritos for the rest of my <laughs> life after that. <laughs>
2: So oiling, but the bottom line is oil and gas touches you in ways you have no idea. And that's where if you think that you're going to just shut down oil and gas one, not realistic and very, very costly to all of us and and not reasonable. And look, I'm all we're in a high growth state. Okay, put your wind up, put your solar up. That's we've got nuclear in the state. We have a little bit of everything. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But oil and gas is important for the whole world, not just this country and not just the state.
1: Well, you make a great point that it's a national security issue, because if we're, you know, a lot of wars that we have gone into that we didn't want to go into them, were because we needed energy. Right. And so if we're leading the industry, uh, energy industry, and we are the one exporting, then that gives us so much more freedom as Americans and protects our sons and daughters. Right. And right. also brings more freedom to the earth because those little kids in Africa, how much more can they do if they have the technology or the electricity right to be able to do what they can do? They need to do to make their life a better place. So, okay, let's get in for a few seconds about, so what does your life look like day to day? I asked Lynn Hager this, our state controller. it was fascinating. So you get up, do you have a a meeting with your team? I mean, what does your daily schedule look like running 800 and plus employees?
2: You know it kind of depends on the day. so I like I alluded to earlier, I get out of Austin because some days because we do have field offices and there's no oil and gas in Travis County. so <laughs> see what's going on in the rest of the state. So I travel about once a week. Um, but on a normal day I get up. we've got meetings and or lots of phone calls. We office across the state to the street from Glenn Hager's office. Uh, we work on budget issues. a lot of it though is feedback what we're getting from. Not just oil and gas companies, but also, you know, constituents of all kinds, if they're calling, asking to resolve an issue. Uh, We spend a lot of time doing that, whether they need information from us, and that's why we're trying to upgrade our IT so they can find it a little bit easier, or they've got a problem, somebody's got a problem with a permit, or, you know, they don't, we've got an issue. So we spend a lot of time um, dealing with issue, constituent issues in this office. The legislature has been in session. We spent a lot of time over there re-educating them that, no, we're not railroads. We really are oil and gas. So um, we have to remind them how important we are and what we really do over here. And and look, like every other business that, that runs, we have budget issues, right? We are a fee-based agency. Um, so as oil and gas has been down, our fees are down. So we manage through that. And and are hopefully looking long-term for some consistent funding. That's been a priority for us because, you know, think about running your business where you're off 70% one, year, one month, and next month you're back only off 40%, and then you're back up 120%. So finding being consistent with your budget's been a big priority of mine and making sure that the fees we collect, because we don't want to over nor do we want to cost industry a lot more. They spend a lot of money into the state with, tax dollars and other fees um, to make sure that we're managing our budget. And somehow me, the liberal arts attorney at this agency with two other business people sitting up here, I'm the one who manages the budget on a regular (laughs) basis. So, you know, I spend a lot of time, though, I think communicating. And I think that's really been a priority, will continue to be a priority, communicating what we do and communicating real facts and information to people There's a lot of stuff on the internet. We want to make sure there's real information out there about what we do as an agency.
1: I know every time I've heard you speak, it's always been an educational thing. And I really appreciate you educating the people of Texas today. Um, Wayne Christian is also a very energetic speaker as well. (laughs) as One of our other railroad commissioners and him growing up in East Texas, he knows East Texas. So, Um, well, let's just talk for a few more minutes. We've just got a few more minutes. So, a lot of people probably don't even know that you have a beautiful daughter, Catherine, that you adopted. So, you have a busy executive leadership job. How do you manage balance, home life, your faith, um, raising Catherine? That's a lot to manage. What does your day to day life look like with her?
2: Well, you know, first and foremost, Catherine and my family grew up and we still have this priority families first, right? So her calendar goes on first, then we work around Catherine. And and so she's going into fourth grade, which is hard to believe. And um, she she was born during my first campaign. So again, I ran for office first time and then daughter was born kind of in the middle of my campaign. And so you really learn to fix your priorities, right? Um, And have a... So get some. Make sure you've got some a uh, good family and good help around you, which has been great. Now, what does Catherine think I do? She thinks I go to the office, have a lot of foreign meetings, and give speeches. So she apparently does not want to do what I do. Uh, <laughs> doesn't care who what I am in my job. She cares that I'm her mom first. And right. I think that, and you know, we spend a lot of time. Um, just she and I. We have a great relationship. She is a great relationship with my family, which is wonderful. And Catherine has never met a stranger, which is even more wonderful. And but one of the things that we really spend a lot of time on when you're talking about Christians engaged, Catherine has a very strong sense of spiritual spirituality. Um, you know, she she's had it since and I think you're born with it or you develop it, or maybe it's the one thing I've taught her and I'm doing well with, I hope, too. Um, so you know, we we go to church she's engaged. She prays every night and thinks she makes sure we're the ones praying. And so I appreciate that. But we spent, she is a, she's a very active kid and we spend a lot of time playing sports. So we're in the car a lot, or we're on the field a lot, or we're doing other things. And, and so, you know, my job, she knows, she does know what I do. Like I said, she thinks that's probably boring at this point in life. And that's good. I hope she finds her own her own thing. And I don't think it'll be this maybe who knows though. Um, but we spend a lot of time together and she does, and I travel to her. So one of the things people, I, I do travel every week. We're now back into doing travel as we come out of COVID regularly um, out traveling, but I come home every night. That became a priority as much as anything. So people would will, will look at me and they'd say, where are you going at eight o'clock at night? And I'm like, well, I'm going home wherever that, I mean, I come to her and so she doesn't come with me that often um, she has her own life and I'm glad about that. That's uh, a priority that she can make those choices. And now there are days she comes, she comes Okay, She thinks it's fun to come to mom's office and I get lovely notes, right? But, um, but I think she's going to find her own path. And I think that's a, a what you hope that you're giving them a good basics that they can. So I think the bigger challenge we've realized as, um, as Catherine continues to be at school and it goes back to, communication and education is what's going on in our schools and what she learns value-wise versus what I would like for her to. And and we have a lot of conversations about that. And it's not just about politics. It's what are you learning in school? She wants to learn more history, which is not necessarily being taught how I learned history. She wants to learn more about what goes on in the world. And so we spend a lot of time having those kind of conversations, and these are our values versus what she hears about at school. And so I think that's the that's a challenge raising kids today. Period. You know, social period. media, everything immediately. I mean, she's got older cousins, so you know, we all. I'm like, what are you doing over there in the on, the on the on the online? And 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 part of that is she doesn't have her own phone. She keeps asking we're Like, no, you're, you're too young. We don't, we, we're not there yet, but, um, but I think that's a real challenge and it's made me really have more in-depth conversations maybe than we all think we should. Some days you have them to, what do you really believe in or in, in voice, what you really believe in, instead of just knowing, well, this is what I intrinsically believe in. You got to explain it and let her make her own decisions. And thankfully, we're heading the right direction. But oil and gas, she gets a totally different world at school than I would. Than I teach. And she's like, "Well, I'm for, for instance, I'm for um, making sure the animals are protected." And I finally looked around and went, "So am I." That's part of what my job is too. There, one part there. There's ways that we all coexist, and so. Uh, learning and teaching our values, boy. If I if I don't know them now, she's gonna make me remember what I believe in. I think that's a, a good remembrance for myself too.
1: That's so good. We just had a conversation with one of my friends, Dr. Craig Ingersoll, about about parents taking ownership of their kids' education whether they go to public school, private school, school, homeschool, you have to be a part of that process. If you're not, you're, you know, leaving your kids out to ravage wolves, you know, so that's so important and, and a good emphasis for all of us. Thank you for letting us into your life a little bit, Christy. It's so important that people understand why they need to pray for their elected officials, that you all are real people. You have real families, you have real needs, you need real wisdom. And it's an honor for us to pray for you and to pray, Pray for all of our elected officials around Texas and America um, that God wants to use you. He's put you in a place of authority and leadership for us. And we are so thankful um, that you are in that place uh, leading right now so thank you again i just want to remind everybody that our austin 101 class is going to go live soon so if you want to dig deep on what the governor does what your state rep does what your state senator does um that that class is going to be amazing how you can follow a bill how you can advocate for your values it's, it's real in-depth, led by Tracy Bradford, our vice president, and it's going to be professionally, it's professionally recorded. It'll be out soon. We're doing in-person seminars around the state, our on-ramp to political activism class. We've got those going on, and we can bring those to your city. If you want to bring us to your city for a Saturday at your church, we would love to come bring that in-depth seminar on how you can be involved as a Christian in government and your civic duties. So thank you, Commissioner, again. We so appreciate you. Everyone subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, share this interview with your friends and get more involved. Take our pledge to pray, vote and engage and let's uh, change um, Texas and let's change America because it all starts in Texas, right? Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Commissioner. We'll see you soon.
0: Thank you for joining us today. This podcast is a production of Christians Engaged. We are a nonpartisan nonprofit that exists to awaken, motivate, and educate ordinary believers in Jesus Christ to pray for our nation regularly, vote in every election, and engage our hearts in some form of political activism. To learn more about us, please visit our website at christiansengaged.org. That's christiansengaged.org.